Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, We are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Matthew 21, 23-32 Good morning, church. Let's click or open our Bibles to Matthew 21. We're going to begin in verse 23. I'd love for you to have this moment in Jesus' ministry in front of you this morning as you can walk through it with me. Uh, If you're visiting today, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers. You've joined us as we head toward the conclusion of a series of messages in Matthew, looking at his identification of the kingdom of God and the king. And the text that we're looking at in this limited series through Matthew will be highlighting those sections that talk about the kingdom, define it explain it for us, and those that talk about the king. Sometimes we get both, sometimes we get one, but it always reflects on the other. And so we're in uh, looking at a passage today that I just want to kind of forewarn you. Normally when we gather for church, we encourage one another, inspire one another to walk by faith. And that's a good thing to do. And many times we're inspired of faith because we see what Jesus is giving us. And we can spend a lot of time in church talking about what we receive in Christ, and we should do that. That's one of the reasons we worship him. But today's text really lends itself more to what are you going to do because of that? It's a call to action. It's, it's unequivocally a call to action. It's going to be something that all of us, if we take this seriously, are going to find that there's an opportunity for us in this. So to understand our text, we always have to make sure we understand the context. What is taking place? We can't just pull these verses out and treat them as if they're separate. We're in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. On Saturday, uh, he would have gathered at Simon the leper's house. And while he's there being ridiculed by the religious leaders for who he's hanging out with, Mary comes in and washes his feet with perfume and anoints him and then dries his feet with her hair. And it's quite scandalous. And then on Sunday, he leaves the town of Bethany where he's staying just outside of the city and he heads into Jerusalem where he's met on Palm Sunday with great fanfare and the Hosanna, this is the great Messiah and this will be the last day that week that they worship him, honestly. 
Jesus goes into the city and he comes out. On Monday, he gets up and he's leaving Bethany, heading into town, and he goes by a fig tree. It's seasoned. The fig tree should have fruit. Jesus finds no fruit on it. And having a bad day, he curses the tree. He goes into the temple. His bad day continues. I'm being facetious. He goes into the temple and he sees that they've turned the temple of God into a prophet center. You and I would go in for the Passover and we would bring our spotless lamb or uh, whatever that sacrifice would be. We'd bring our lamb to the experts and they would review whether it was good enough. And surprisingly, they would often find that what was good enough for you wasn't good enough for them. And so you'd have to buy one of theirs and it would be at a, you know, Passover weekend price. It'd be like gas. We don't know why it's going up. It just keeps going up. And so in the midst of this, Jesus walks in and sees that people are being scammed and taken advantage of. He goes off in the temple. He turns the tables over. He knocks all their money all over the place. And they don't know what to do with this guy. And he leaves. He comes in on Tuesday morning. And this is where we're at our text today. He goes back to Bethany. He comes back into the city on Tuesday. And in the midst of this, they come up and they ask him the question, "Who, who are you to treat us like this? By what authority do you do the things you do and say the things you're saying? Who do you think you are? And Jesus said, let me ask you a question. This John the Baptist and what he called people to do, was he just the dude or was he God's? Was he representing God's message or his own? And they look at each other and the the scriptures say, Matthew records that they they turned around and they said, we don't know because they knew if they said he was God's and Jesus is gonna say, then how come you didn't follow his teachings? And if you say just the dude, The crowd knew that he was a prophet of God, and so you would turn the crowd against them. So they turn around and they say to Jesus, we we don't know. My son had gone to his first week of kindergarten, our oldest child, and so we sat through the week, and we were all excited to figure out what he was going through, you know, his first experience in school, and we were sitting around the dinner table one night, and I asked him a question. It was a real simple question. It wasn't a threatening question. He couldn't have gotten in trouble. We just asked him a question, and he looked at us, and he went, pass. And I looked at Heather and she looked at me and I was like, pass. And I asked the question again, thinking he didn't understand me. He goes, I'll pass. And we're like, what? And then he looked at me and he goes, in school, if we don't want to answer, we can say pass. And I looked at him and I said, ain't school, son. When your mom and dad ask you a question, you can answer. You're safe here. And anyway, we finally got him. And it wasn't, I don't even know why he said pass. He just kind of liked the power of that. They asked Jesus a question. He looks at the Pharisees and they went, pass. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not answering this. Then Jesus responds in classic form, then I want to answer your question because we already know the answer, don't we? You know who John was and you know who I am and you're not answering for a reason, so let's not play this game. Here's the point I want to make of two this morning. First one is this. True authority must be respected. You see, this is where we go from what we receive from Jesus to what we're going to offer Jesus. True authority must be respected. Or in other words, I could have entitled this, there's a time to do what you ought to do. So when I was growing up, I'm sorry if this bores some of you who have been here with me the entire time, the last 13 years. For them of you who don't know, let me explain the context. I'm one of four boys. I'm the third in favorite. Just <laughs> wanted to put that out there. It's clear. I mean, anybody who knows, knows. But I was, I'm the third of the four boys. And I grew up in a different era. My little brother's six years younger than me, so he lived in a completely different home with different parents, if you will. But when I was growing up, especially during the summer, we would go into the kitchen and there would be a to-do list. It didn't happen every day. It could have, but it didn't. It happened enough 
Now, we were classy. Before there was texting, which is now how I communicate with my son, uh, my dad would write it. Instead of, we didn't have sticky pads because that was wasted money. It was always written on a white paper plate. And it was stuck to the refrigerator. Pure class, we, we went about it. And my dad would write, Steve, Scott, and Mark, and he would give us a chore to do every day. Sometimes they were big things. In the winter, it might be shovel the drive. And it would be all of us. Some days it would be Steve, take out the trash, Mark, do this, Scott, do this. And, and so we would go in there. And every morning you would get up in the summer and you would look and see what your task was. And you'd divine your day by that, right? If, if I wanted to play wiffle ball with my friends that morning, I could get that done in the afternoon or, or you see how it works. But let me ask you a serious question. Do you understand the implications of that paper plate on the refrigerator? The implications was, have this done before I get home. Amen? We all get that, right? That's understood. Uh, I couldn't call United Airlines and say, can I speak to Dale Christian? Dad, I disagree with the chore you gave me. What? No. I didn't tell my dad I couldn't do it. Was it unreasonable? Talk to me, church. Was it unreasonable for my parents to give me something to do that day that contributed to the household? Should they, did they have to pay me to do such a thing? No, they already had. I had clothes and shelter and food I was cared for. So it wasn't unreasonable for my parents' authority to be respected by their son. We understand this in everyday life. Do we understand it in our spiritual life? Look at verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to this first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? They answered the first. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For Jesus came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus makes it clear. A man had two sons, a clear expectation. Father has the right to expect his children to respect his wishes. Now, I wish we lived in a world where every father was a good man, a safe man, an honorable man, where every mother was a loving, honorable, good person. Unfortunately, in a room this size, I know some of you had less of that experience than you deserved or should have had. But we all understand the concept of authority. We all understand that there are moments that it must be respected. So when Jesus asked the question, a man had two sons, one said no and ended up saying, I was wrong, and the other one said, I'll do it, and then just chose not to do it, which one of those did what the father wanted? It comes down to simple, respectful obedience. Did you do what you were asked to do? Now, I thought it was a really cute first hour. I said, how many of you bristled when Jesus tells in the story, a father asked his son to go to the vineyard, and the one son said No. And this little, sweet little girl sitting over here to my right raised her hand. I said, did that give you the willies? When he, and she went like that. And her mom just smiled and beamed. I said, yeah. I, I, even now today, I remember a thousand times the one word I never could say to my parents is no. Take your dishes up and put them in the sink. No. Talk about the Last Supper. That would have been my Last Supper. <laughs> now, I found ways to tell my dad no without actually saying no. But we all kind of grew up in that, right? And I think the foundation of the scriptures teach one of the foundations of the home, honor your father and mother. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing with this little parable because he's bringing it up about John. He said, you saw that John's call to re repentance 
to enter into the kingdom, to prepare themselves for the, the king is coming, prepare the way for the king. You saw that tax collectors and prostitutes were repenting and turning into the kingdom of God as, as the scripture said they would. The, the current Elijah is here preaching this message. You saw them respond and you didn't do anything about it. They said no to God and realized they should do what he asked. You said yes to God and decided maybe. Which one really is God's? Which one really gets the Father? Which one really has a relationship with the Father? On Wednesday night, Elijah Daly had been teaching on Wednesday nights a theology uh, course or introduction to theology uh, on Wednesday nights, and he was desperate, so he asked Michael and I to join him to do a Q&A of questions that came from the class. And one of the questions that was posed is a profound question. Sometimes Jesus teaches parables that are shaded in such a way that not everybody got the meaning. What was with that? Well, I talked for too long and didn't make any sense, and Michael, Michael DeFazio came to the rescue. He had a very simple line. I told him I was stealing it because it was very helpful. He said, often Jesus told parables to awaken outsiders who thought they were insiders. Sometimes Jesus told a parable, and everyone's like, you give it to them. And at the end, they're like, ow, wow, it's me. Have you ever had a moment in Scripture when you understood what Jesus was saying that you thought, I don't do that. I should do that. Church? You ever had a moment where Jesus teaching, you're like, he deserves that. I haven't given him that, but he deserves that. This is exactly what Jesus is doing in this day when he says to them, you saw people repent at the teachings of John entering into the kingdom and you yourself would not repent. You said you would and then didn't. They, say they, they said they would never and did. Who's really giving God what he deserves? Who's really honoring the authority of God? Now, don't miss this, we American Gentiles. Uh, when Jesus says that a father sent him to work in the vineyard, I'm pretty certain his Jewish audience understood the implications of that. Y you and I would understand it as quickly if Jesus would said a king sent his son into the kingdom to do something he asked him to do. We would go, oh, he's talking about the kingdom. The vineyard would have meant kingdom. It would have meant the principle. God has always related, all the way back to Isaiah, that his work is a vineyard, that Jesus is the vine and we are the what? Jesus would seize that moment and teach that truth, that you and I are a part of something that God is planting. And the fruit of his planting us in his kingdom is undeniable. A vine does not choose whether or not it produces fruit. If it is rooted in the soil and living out what it's created to do, it will produce fruit. Jesus is making... A beautiful point here. What counts is obedience. There was a moment when I was a young preacher a lifetime ago back in Michigan, and I was in my first year being the, the preacher at the church, and I had this wonderful idea, as all young preachers do, if you just did, if everybody just did what I thought they should do, it would all work, right? I made a presentation at an annual meeting at our church. I pitched this big idea about how we could do this, this, and this. And I was so excited. I had every question I thought that could be asked answered. I had it tight as a bundle. And I laid it in front of the church and I was getting holy harumphs. People in the back like, yeah. Yeah, I saw people. Look at that young guy go, you know. Yeah. And I was all excited. And Charles Gwaltney, about six foot five, talked like Foggy Leghorn, if you know who that is. He was, he was from the South. He always called me youngin'. And he walked up and put his hand on the back of my neck. It was a massive hand. It could have crushed my big head. But he just held my, for a second, he whispered in here. He goes, youngin, it doesn't cost anyone a dollar to shake their head yes. And I was like, huh? And a few weeks later, when we called for volunteers for that program that everybody got excited about, here's what I learned. 
Everybody thought it ought to be done, but everybody thought somebody else ought to do it. You see, it doesn't cost us a dollar to shake our head yes. It doesn't cost us anything to agree. Listen, to agree that Jesus is the son of God, Satan does. But when he calls people to go to the work, those who respect his authority get to work. You see, and it's not the work we do so that we're in the kingdom. Have you noticed? It's the work we do because we're in the kingdom, producing fruit for the kingdom. You see, true authority must be respected, especially those who put themselves under the authority of Jesus. The second point I want to make comes from the second parable. The authority of Jesus will require an accounting. That we will be held responsible for what Jesus asked us to do. You see, when Dale Christian posted on a paper plate what we were supposed to do, it was certainly understood that this should be done before dad gets home. Now, my mom was always the one who was probably the stricter parent when it came to doing what needed done. She was always the one cracking the whip saying, get it done, get it done now while you can in case, because let's say something happened and you didn't, you wanted to start at three and dad got home at 3.30 and you weren't done at 3.30, there was a day of justice. My dad would be frustrated that this one simple thing he asked you to do all day long, you didn't get done. Now this is the same man who once walked into our family room on a summer afternoon saw his three boys watching Bugs Bunny on a beautiful summer afternoon, pulled out his pocket knife and cut off the plug of the television and walked out of the house. So is it safe to say Dale didn't play? No, he cut that off and we didn't have TV for two weeks and then all of a sudden it was on one day and we thought, well, he'd forgiven us. No, my mom had complained she was missing her story so he put it back together. He, we'd never had a television again if dad would have had his way. So this man didn't play. He didn't ask a whole lot, but when he asked us something, he expected you to honor it and respect it. And if you didn't, there's an accountability. Now, growing up, I realized this now as I'm older, my mom didn't like to grocery shop. So my dad got paid every other Friday, and I knew that every other Friday, mom would come in to us boys, one of the three of us older boys, and she would say something along the lines of, would, would one of you help me grocery shop today? And we would all kind of hang our heads, have something to do, didn't want to go, it's uncool. I've got two sons like that now. Hey, will you want to run to the store with me? No. But they sure want me to bring them back what they want. Can I have an amen? (laughs) Well, mom didn't want to go grocery shopping. And so every now and then she would say to me, Mark, would you help me tonight? What that meant was she would get all the groceries and then I would help her load the station wagon and unload the station wagon and put them away. What I realized after about the second or third time, every time I went with mom to the grocery store, I got a mad magazine. I got a bag of Twizzlers. I didn't ask for them. But my mom would say, do you want a Mad Magazine? Of course I do. And I would lay in the bottom where you all put your containers of water, which is ridiculous because it's free, but you buy it. You buy your water, you put it in the bottom. I laid down there and read a Mad Magazine while she shopped, got up, helped her bag it, helped her unload it. I always got a treat. Now here's the question I have to ask you. Should I have gone shopping for the licorice or should I have gone shopping for my mom? I should have gone for my mom. But what's interesting is my mom rewarded me for doing what I should have done anyway. Why? Because she was good. She was kind. She appreciated the fact that I didn't have to help her, but I chose to help her because I was the best son. Did I mention that earlier? (laughs) I'm the hero of every story, church. See, what I want you to understand, the equivalence of what Jesus is about to do is tell a story where he wants us to understand that there is a motive behind what we do. Verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. 
He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. He sent other students, or servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now I want you to notice in verse 41, who responds? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, don't miss this. If your Bible has red letters, you know Jesus isn't talking in verse 41. The crowd understood the implications. There is an accountability to real authority. It's not optional. And they said those evil people will find an evil ending. Those wretched people will find a wretched ending. The word wretched means evil. They knew what was coming with this. It's his vineyard. He rented the land to them. They knew that they would pay him back by giving him produce. It was sharecropping. And when he claimed at the harvest what was his, they beat up his messengers. Don't ask us for what is his. He sends another group. He sends his son. They realize if we kill the son, the land will one day be ours, or so they think. Jesus says, what will the landowner do to people like that? people who are taking advantage of his generosity and his provisions, who are disrespecting his authority, who are not giving him back his share of what is rightfully his anyway, they will come to what? An evil ending. There is an accounting to real authority. And Jesus is making this point clear. You see, the privilege of working in the vineyard brings responsibility. A privilege of being his son or daughter requires responsibilities in the house. It's a judgment parable. Look at verse 41. What's the Lord going to do? He will rent the vineyard, <coughs> excuse me, to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops at harvest time. What is God's expectation? What is the landowner's expectation in this parable? That we give him what is due him. Okay, so back to my life. Our yard had three pieces to it. Front yard, side yard, backyard. Hated the backyard because it had the fence. It had this iron or this wire fence that we put up to, keep, to take care of our dogs so they didn't run away. We had two dogs and they were too lazy to run, but we had a fence. And I hated when dad wrote, Steve front yard, Scott side yard, Mark backyard, because the backyard guy had to trim the weeds under the fence. Now, for those of you under 40, let me tell you how hard life was in the 70s. There was no gas weed eater or electric weed eater. Do you know what the weed eater was? You laying on your side with a pair of stupid scissors cutting under the wire fence. Can I have an amen for those who suffered? Yeah, so you guys don't know work. Okay, so, and you'd lay back there and there were dog piles and everything else and you're cutting the stupid weeds and hating your life and I hated when I got the backyard. Well, but I also very much want to get my stuff, I want to, I want to eat the vegetables first so I can enjoy the dessert. So I would often get up because I'm angelic. I would get up early and get my work done. The thing that bothered me is this. Maybe you'll appreciate this. When dad assigned the three spots to us, I had one brother in particular who may be listening online today who liked to wait to the last feasible moment to start the project. Sometimes he didn't. You know what was unfair? When Dale came home, we all got in trouble. 
My section was done. Steve's section was done. But what did it say on the white paper plate? I want the yard cut before I get home. And he would give us a lecture and we'd be furious at my other brother, Scott. And <laughs> my mom would be begging him all day, Scott, you need to get the yard done. Your dad's not going to be happy. And he would just do what he did. Sometimes got busy or distracted. And the next thing you know, dad would come home and he's mad all night long. The house was tense. I hated it. And one time when I was a little bit older, I got on my dad and I said, dad, it's not fair. I did my section. I got it all done. And we all get in trouble because one of your children won't get what they're supposed to do. And he said, it's unfair because my dad had no concept of fair. My dad didn't care about fair. <laughs> my dad cared about doing what I asked you to do. And so one time I said to him, I don't think it's fair that I get in trouble. And he looked at me and he said, then why don't you cut the whole yard? And I said, because I don't like Scott. <laughs> I mean, that was the truth. I wasn't going to do his work for him. He's never done a thing for me. Why in the world would I help my brother? What am I saying? My dad looked at me with this smirk on his face. Like, I asked for the yard to be cut. I didn't tell you you only had to do the backyards. You could have done all of it. You could have served your brothers. Well, I knew that wasn't happening, but the point was made. <laughs> Are you with me, church? You can serve Jesus because he gives you something, or you can serve Jesus because it's the way you love him. You can serve others. Instead of worrying about what's fair, we ought to just do what needs to be done. We do it out of not duty. We do it out of the beauty of what God's giving us. See, look at verse 42 with me. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? That's a shot, isn't it? Have you never read, leaders of the world? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus is quoting from the 118th Psalm. There's so much significance. I only have 10 seconds to tell this. I'm going to try. If you read the 113th to the 118th Psalm, it's known as the Hillel Psalms. Okay? Many scholars, and I, and I believe this is true because it's consistently through the research I do, both on both sides of the aisle, that many people believe in Matthew when it says, I believe in Matthew 26, where it says that after the, he instituted the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn and went to the garden. Many people believe that the hymns that they would have sung at the Passover would have been sections of the 113th to the 118th Psalm. And in the 118th Psalm, verse 23, it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Doesn't that say something about our king, that on the night he was about to be betrayed and murdered, he would say to God, today's the day you made. I'm going to rejoice in it. But it also talks about the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the foundational piece of any building. If it was going to stand, the cornerstone had to be strong. And everything added to it was cut to the cornerstone. The cornerstone wasn't altered. Everything added to it was altered by the strength and capacity of the cornerstone. Jesus is saying to these leaders, you're rejecting John's testimony and you're rejecting my testimony. Please understand, God is doing it no other way. It will be built on Jesus or it will collapse. And in fact, it even says in the book of Ephesians, Paul makes reference that the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles were built on the cornerstone. All of this is coming from him. And he's saying, I, you may trip over me. I may be a stumbling block to you. I may cause you to trip and stumble, but you will be built up on me and I will make you strong. And if you build on this foundation, when the storms of life come, you'll stand. But should you not, the stone will crush you. 
Jesus said, there's no other way. It's me or nothing. I am your only hope. I am your only foundation. He puts it right out there. He says, and I'm going to take from those of you entrusted with this field, this vineyard, I'm going to take it from you and give it to those who will actually give God what he deserves and gives him its fruit. You see, you said yes, but did nothing. They said no, but repented. You see, God wants people to understand the blessing of the kingdom by sharing the blessing of the kingdom with people who don't know the value of the kingdom. You see how this works? You were brought in to produce fruit and that fruit will be a blessing to nations. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Isn't it interesting, isn't it? Did they know who Jesus was? They most certainly did. How do I know they knew who Jesus was? Because when the tomb was empty, they bribed the soldiers to lie about it. Everything Jesus said, their fears were now being displayed. See, we are accepting our responsibility or we can ignore our responsibility, but we cannot eliminate it. We are all gonna stand before God as children, sons and daughters, and he's gonna say to us, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you give me what I deserve? Did you, did you honor me for the way that I've blessed you, loved you, and cared for you? You see, I could have gone shopping knowing that if I asked for a bag of licorice or a mad magazine, my mom would have given it to me. But actually, I should have just loved my mom. And she needed help unloading the groceries, putting them in the, in the car, and just giving her encouragement. I look back on that now and I'm glad that I never had to, to beg for that stuff. She just blessed me and she didn't need to. I was only doing what I should have done. So it's one of the few moments in my life I got it right and it felt good. You see, if your worship of Jesus is based on duty and that's all it is, you're missing out the best part of being in his kingdom. Put your heart on who he is and what he's done for you and watch what he gives you in return. I'd like us to engage our, our head, our heart, and our hands. So if you're new here, this is one of the, the ways I want to teach you. If you want to persuade people, you give them something to think, something to become, and something to do. So let's think together for just a moment. Could you agree with me that a, accountability to God is not a bad thing? Because God has been nothing but good to us. That God is not over-demanding. He's not unjust. He's not mean-spirited. He's not penalizing us. He's actually inviting us into a good work that produces fruit that brings pleasure to his heart and ours. So when the world sees what we give God, remind yourself who you're giving it to. To work in God's vineyard is a blessing. To be the fruit of Jesus' life is a blessing. So listen and look for moments where you can give God what he deserves. For your heart to become, look with me at Psalm 211. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with respect. Serve the Lord with honor. Serve the Lord himself. And I love that expression. And then rejoice with trembling. The only thing I can relate to is the time when I was 14 years old and my mom asked my dad to go get some milk and my dad looked at me and he put his fingers to his lips and he threw me his truck keys and we lived about two miles from a grocery store and he said, go get some milk. I had no driver's license. I was the king of the world. I rejoiced 
with trembling. What an honor. And I went down, and of course, we get inside, and he looks at me, and he says, don't tell your mom, I won't. Our secret until now has been secure. But that was rejoicing with trembling. What an honor. What an opportunity. It's not a punishment, it's a gift. And for your hands, what's the next step to being the child that not only says you'll go, but who goes? What's the next step for you? For some of you, it's to get in the vineyard. You're outside of the kingdom looking in. His parable showed you that you're an outsider who may think you're an insider, but the the simplest way to become an insider is die to self and live for Jesus. And for those of us who once did that, ask yourself, did I say yes and did I do it? Or did I shake my head no and now I want to repent? What is your next step on the pathway of discipleship to going deeper into the love of God that motivates you to give more and more to his glory? Because church, he deserves it. We're gonna, I'm going to read a prayer over you and we're going to spend just a few moments quietly in meditation during that time. But following that, if there are people going to the back of the room where the lamps are on the table, if you want to be prayed with today, encouraged, If you have a question, you want to take the next step into discipleship, you want to know what that is, we would love to assist you in this. So following this time of prayer during the next song or to the conclusion of the service, we invite you to go back. We'd love to journey with you as all of us are children of God and he's asked us to do something for him. And we get to choose today whether or not we're going to do it. I want you to look at this prayer. It appears on the screen. I'm going to read it over us and give some moments in between for you and I to ponder the words. God, you are the owner of all. And we are blessed to be given a means to honor you with our lives. We have heard your invitation to enter the vineyard and serve the good work that benefits all the world. We have announced our service and then we have forsaken the oath. We come aware of this willfulness and with sorrow ask for your mercy and forgiveness. We were wrong and we were weak. We desire to serve you out of love, not duty. To ask with changed hearts and minds that you receive our work in the vineyard from our love for your kindness and your holiness. You deserve our worship, our dedication, and our loyalty. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us through your holy scriptures. Remind us of your love through Jesus. And allow us the position of useful servants to your glory and honor for the rest of our days. Jesus, we know you're worthy of our respect. We know what you've done for us. We hear your heart through the scriptures for the world. Father, we thank you for blessing us and offering the blessing to those who have never accepted it. 
But we also pray that we might work your fields to produce the fruit that we present back to our Father. That we give you not only the gift of our lives, but that we care for others so that they might know the care that you have for each of them. Father, we're not better than anyone who doesn't know you, but we are better for knowing you. So we give ourselves to you today, some for the very first time we pray, and others to be renewed. Because you don't ask us for sentiment and you don't ask us for words. It doesn't cost us anything to shake our head, yes. So we give you our lives. Show us this week, this day, what we can do to do the work that you've called us to do, to bring you a gift, a blessing from us to you for having been blessed by you. This we pray in honor of King Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.